welcome back to We Love Lucy. I'm Allison Werma. I'm Corinne Eckhart. And I'm Molly Lyons. We have a very, 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 very special guest today. And I'm using a million berries because truly very special. We would like to welcome Greg Oppenheimer to the show. Woo! Thank you. <laughs> Greg, tell us a little bit about yourself. Your last name sounds familiar. Yeah. Well, my dad was uh, Jess Oppenheimer, who uh, created I Love Lucy. Wow. He was the producer <laughs> producer and head writer, and, and he wrote and directed and produced her radio show before that. Amazing. So you've heard of the show. <laughs> <laughs> that makes things easier. Yeah, right? <laughs> Will you tell us the first time you became aware of I Love Lucy, or what your dad did, or Lucille Ball? <laughs> well, I, I think I... I was watching the, the, the show where, when it came on the air. Whenever my dad would do a show, we'd have a party. Of course, this was on every week. <laughs> but you know, it's, the show went on the air when I was less than a year old, so I, I wasn't watching it then. <laughs> but uh, in the Staten Island Ferry episode, we went down for the filming, and uh, I met Lucy and I met uh, Vivian. And uh, you know, I, I said posed with Vivian on the on the Staten Island Ferry, and. Uh, when he introduced me to Lucy, she kneeled down, so she was down you know, level with me, and I, you know, looked at this big redheaded uh, <laughs> woman, and, and she says, uh, "Where'd you get those big brown eyes?" And I said, "They came with the face." <laughs> <laughs> she nearly, nearly fell over laughing. <laughs> so that was my first one-liner. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was a good one. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> Did you spend a lot of time on the set as a kid? Uh, not when I was four or five, yeah. but, but when I got older, yeah, I used to go as, uh, as often as I could. Not uh, I Love Lucy. I mean, Dad left. Well, the show was over in 56, right. 57, and I was only six. But I spent a lot of time with Desi Lou after that because my dad did other shows. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I also, when I became a teenager, I loved wandering around the, the set and uh, you know because they were shooting Mission Impossible oh, and yeah. Star Trek and... I remember going on the, the Star Trek set a day they weren't shooting and standing on the transporter, you know, and, and a friend pulled the level levers, but nothing happened. <laughs> well, it sounds like your father and Lucy developed a really long-running collaboration. Oh, yeah. This partnership. And so what is, what is that like uh, to watch a partnership like that grow over that amount of time? He, he uh, first hooked up with Lucy uh, on the radio, and uh, he was... He wrote for Jack Benny, he wrote for Fred mm-hmm. Astaire, Al Jolson, you know, everybody on the radio. And then uh, he was writing for Fanny Bryce, who right. had a show called Baby Snooks. And uh, Baby Snooks is a you know, wise beyond her years little girl who drives her daddy crazy. And, yeah. you know, he tells her not to do something and then she finds a way of, you know, around it. <laughs> uh, and uh, very much of Lucy Ricardo. Yes. Uh, and that was Fanny Bryce, who, you know, Barbara Streisand played in Funny Girl. Right. And in 1948... TV was coming in, and the and the radio budgets were going down, and the TV they had to allocate stuff to the TV departments. And they asked Fanny Bryce, who was getting paid like five thousand dollars a week, which was a lot of money in 1948, uh, to take a I think one thousand dollar a week cut in salary. And she walked off the show, and it was like very top rated show at the time. Yeah. So all of a sudden, my dad didn't have a job, you know, and he'd been working on it for her for years. At, at about that time, Lucy started her radio show. And it was written by the people who wrote Ozzie and Harriet. Mm-hmm. It started during the summer, and they had to go back to write Ozzie and Harriet in the fall, so they were looking for writers. So CBS called my dad and asked him if he'd like to write an episode, and he said, sure. And he did. And he basically took her character, which was a socialite wife of a bank vice president in a small town, and turned her into Baby Snooks. 
in a grown woman's body, yeah. but she's still a little girl who drove her, not her daddy this time, but her husband crazy. Right. Uh, and uh, it changed the show dramatically. And I remember discovering that transcription disc, you know, listening to the shows before and then, then the first show my dad wrote. And I say, oh my gosh, this is, this, this is where Lucy Ricardo was born. She was not married to an entertainer, she was married to a banker, but she's still trying to break into show business and right, all, right. all the things. And uh, the show became a big hit. It wasn't doing well in the ratings before that. They made, immediately made my dad producer and head writer and director <laughs> a couple of weeks later. And, uh, <laughs> and and so, you know, Lucy really knew that that's where a lot of our success came from. Yeah. I mean, and he, at that's when he started working with Bob Carroll Jr. and, and Madeline Pugh. Right. Um, and, and the three of them were just, a, you know, a great writing team. Yeah, I mean, I was reading in your father's memoir how your father was the one who kind of encouraged Lucy to be very physical when they were recording right. uh, the radio show, even though no one could see it. That still affected the performance. She was just, had her eyes glued to her script. Yeah. And your dad said, you know, you can do so much more. And she said, you know, nobody can see what I do at, at home is at the radio. And he said, mm-hmm. the studio audience can mm-hmm. see you and, and, and the people at home will sense the connection you have mm-hmm. with the audience. And she didn't believe him. She, and she was afraid to, to look up from the script. She, he said, I work for Jack Benny and he's the, the master of this. And he gets more laughs between the lines, between the jokes than he does, you know, mm. during the lines because he works with the audience and he just looks at the audience. He puts his hand on his cheek and, you know, and scans them and they just laugh. Yeah. And he says, she says, what if, I, what if they don't laugh when I look at them? And uh, he said, don't worry, they will. <laughs> and he, she didn't believe him. So he gave her Jack Benny tickets, which was shot in the same studio, mm-hmm. just on a different day. And she said, what are these for? He said, I want you to go to school. <laughs> and she did, and she came back and totally turned around the way she performed. And from then on, you know, the connection with the audience was a hallmark of her success. Oh, 100%. I feel like when you say Lucille Ball, people are like, she has an amazing physicality as a yeah. comedian. Yeah. That's totally. her thing. Well, and it's so interesting to think that radio was what predated all of this, that all of these creatives were working in radio. Mm-hmm. And then TV ads, obviously, such a whole other dimension yeah. to things and who becomes successful because of what their skill set are. Yeah. Well, the amazing thing about I Love Lucy is there were people from radio, there were people from live theater, there were people from live television, there were people from movies, all came together and each one, you know, brought their, their skill set. My dad, during the first episode, when they were filming the first episode, Danny Kahn, who was the film editor, was looking for my dad. He wasn't in the booth. He wasn't in the bleachers. And he found my dad walking back and forth behind the bleachers listening to the audience reaction because that's the way he used to judge the radio thing. (laughs) He he was so tied to the audio at that point still. That's so interesting. And this was at Hollywood Center Studios? Yeah, now it's called... Sunset Las Palmas. Yeah. I work there right now. You do? Yeah, so we pass the Lucy stage all the time. There's a plaque on the Lucy (laughs) Mm -hmm, stage. It's at the Lucy stage. We had the 50th anniversary of the first episode being aired. They had a party Mm -hmm. on the Lucy stage that Nick at Night ran, and they, they aired the, the episode, and they had all the people who were still around oh, back then, and so it was very cool. cool. Awesome. I'd love to hear more about the team that was assembled. You were saying that like, everyone's coming from different backgrounds. Yeah, they had, they had the film editor, Dan Kahn, was from movies. Carl Freund, yeah. who, I mean, he was a cinematographer on, on Metropolis, <laughs> and Camille, and The Good Earth, and Dracula, you know, Oscar winning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was amazing that they got him to do it. And Mark Daniels was the director who specialized in live television. My dad was in radio. He really hadn't worked in pictures at all. And suddenly he was, you know, when, when they decided to do it on a film, all of a sudden he was producing a filmed product. And, right. I mean, he wrote for about two weeks. He wrote 
a Columbia Pictures movie in the 1940s, but that's yeah. I have no experience. <laughs> <laughs> so he had to go over to uh, CFI, Consolidated Film Industries, which was across the street from that studio, and spent a couple of days there with just them taking him through all the different processes and everything there was to know about film and exposure and the processes and, you know, just crash course. He had to go to school, too. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Everyone yes, has to go to did. school to learn to make television. Yeah. yeah, one of our favorite stories that I feel like we talk about a lot is that because they were shooting on film and then Desilu got the rights to the film, they were able to create syndication, oh, basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, yes. Although, by the time that they created syndication, Desilu didn't have the rights anymore. Ah, okay. CBS bought out everybody mm. in 1956. Except my dad. Ah, he wouldn't smart say. man. He wouldn't say. <laughs> Ahead of his time. Yeah. First CBS, which owned it, played it in the morning at mm-hmm. 9 a.m. When I was growing up, you know, if you're sick at home from school, you yeah. watch Idolism. Yeah. But it was on the network. Mm-hmm. And it was called, they were stripping it, I guess. And then later in the 60s, syndication really started. Mm-hmm. And the independent stations started running it. And it's been going ever since. I know, that's crazy. But then it's because of the syndication that now some of the episodes are missing bits and pieces, right? Because they had to cut some of it to... Yeah, well, they didn't they, they didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> they cut... Instead of making a new print, they cut the original negative. They, you know, oh, we've got to cut all this stuff out. They didn't make syndication prints out of the original negatives. They didn't cut it down to 22 minutes mm-hmm. or anything uh-huh. like that. But they cut... Everything they decided to cut out the original titles and the original commercials, mm-hmm. the original lead-ins and interstitials, and they just threw it away. Or maybe they stored it at some point, but then they got tired of paying for the storage. Right. So CBS had nothing. When I went, I produced all the Isla Lucy DVDs. Uh-huh. So we had to look for elements. And so we looked everywhere. But CBS didn't have that much. They had most of the neg- original negatives, which amazingly were, were at the ProTech storage facility, which is across the street from Hollywood Center Studios. Mm-hmm. I went in there with Dan Kahn, the original editor, and we're looking at these you know, negatives which have the original film splices on them that he put on them about 100 yards from where we were sitting. Right, so that's these, so film, these films are still there. At that time, we were looking for, there was a rumor or a legend that there, one of the shows was shot in color. Nobody knew which one. So the only way to check is to actually look at the negatives yeah, and see if there's any right. color negatives. And there weren't any, so. <laughs> it was planned, but they didn't ever do it. There was yeah. even a TV listing, so it wasn't even colored. Oh, color. wow. The closest one that came to that was the Scotland. Oh. That was supposed to be done in color, which is why, unlike all the other ones, it was art-directed in, in color. Right. right. And so, uh, have you seen the colorized version of the Scotland episode? I have not, no. no. We've it's, seen other. We've it's seen beautiful. Other I mean, it, that's the one I colorized. Oh, Because really? we had color home movies. And it was meant to be in color, so yeah, I didn't think, you know, it's not like t- turning Citizen Kane into a color movie. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, how do you feel about colorized versions that they run around the holidays? Mm. I think they do a very good job, yeah. and I think they're getting better at it, too. I was glad that they, on this last one, they, the Hollywood one, some people think, oh, you should be true to what the audience saw mm. at the time. But sometimes Carl Freund would have to paint things weird colors so it would look good in black and white. Yeah, exactly. So, so if you, why would you, you right. know, mimic that? But I'm glad that they decided, you know, the backdrop outside the window shows view mm-hmm. of Hollywood. Mm, yeah. Well, that was black and white. Yeah. But when they colorized it, they colorized that too, which is good because it would look very strange. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. yeah, that was a great episode. It was very smoggy. It was just yeah. black and white. The William Holden episode. Yeah, yeah. 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 so good. That's my favorite. Yeah. Really? Of all time? Mm-hmm. And the brown derby scene is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you were at the tapings. Filmings, but... Yes, I'm sorry. Filmings, that's right. <laughs> what was the experience? Did they have like a warm-up comic? What was the experience like? Desi was the warm-up comic. Oh, and then ah, he would yes. play. 
Hmm? Well, he would just play. He would... Yeah, have you seen that movie, the Isle of Lucy movie? No. They took three episodes and they made it into a movie. You could buy it as part of the complete series box set. Oh, I have that. You've got the bonus disc that has the yeah. Isle of Lucy movie on it. Oh, you have to have a screen. And the we'll first part of the Isle of Lucy, the, re- the, the conceit for the Isle of Lucy movie was that how would you justify putting these episodes together? They start with, it's a movie within a movie. They show people going to an Isle of Lucy mm-hmm. filming. So they show them going into the Desilu Playhouse and going into the bleachers, and they show the director's booth yeah. and all the cameras and everything, and they show the Desi's warm-up. So uh-huh. you can see exactly what it was like. We'll have to check that we'll have out. To do that. When they originally started, I mean, nobody had done it before. They said, yeah. you know, where we put the audience? And somebody remembered, Mark Daniels remembered, there was a company that came and built bleachers in a day in our, in our gymnasium in my high school. And I wonder if we can, so we contacted them, and sure enough, they could come and build this wooden bleachers and everybody does bleachers exactly like I Lucy to, to this day <laughs> so crazy. and where we put the booth let's put the booth up there you know at the original at CBS the booth was on the wall on the side mm-hmm. but they decided okay we'll put the booth at the top of the bleachers yeah. everybody still has the booth at the top of the bleachers they thought of it as a play right and so you go to the theater mm. and they said well we got to change you know load the cameras and everything and Desi said but no, people aren't going to sit around for that <laughs> so they had four cameras and they were going to you know, reload three while the other one covered. Mm-hmm. Didn't work at all. Uh, <laughs> and so my dad suggested, well, we'll have Desi's orchestra there, and they can play some music, and Desi can talk to people during break while they're reloading. And so that they said, okay, get rid of the third camera. Because the first one they shot straight through, like right. a play, right. with no breaks. And the orchestra provided the music live, like on radio, because yeah. they didn't know any better. Right. Yeah. Right. And then Dan said, you know, you can put the music in afterwards and it'll be a lot easier to edit. <laughs> and so that's what they did. Cool. It's all yeah. trial and error. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting how TV has changed a lot since then, but in some ways TV has not changed no. very much since then. But the big difference is now you go on a filming sitcom and it takes six hours. Yeah. And they do everything three times, yeah. mm-hmm. and each one is a little different. You know how long it took them to do Isla Lucy? The record was 42 minutes. Wow. And that's, that's not the first one where they were doing straight through. That's, they're stopping and, and talking to the audience in between. 42 minutes. Yeah. Wow. And there's no retakes. There's a no retake rule. You never see a retake on, on Isla Lucy. And so every time you see something on Isla Lucy, the audience is experiencing it with you, the audience that you hear it for the very first time. And I said, come now, people are saying it, you know, the warm-up guy says, please laugh in the same places. <laughs> and, yeah, you and, can occasionally see them flub a line or something. Yeah, and but I, they just keep going. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, love, I love that. Yeah. We, we love those. My we favorite always... is Cuban Pals, where Desi forgets that he's supposed to be speaking Spanish oh. and his line in English. <laughs> and he just totally cracks up. And they realize that, oh, Ricky Ricardo could have made that mistake in the context. Oh, yeah. right. And so they left it in with him totally cracking up at, at his yeah. mistake. And then in Lucia's Enceinte, when Lucy tells Ricky that they're going to have a baby, doesn't he say, this is my mother? Yeah. <laughs> and yes, yes, yes. like, she's going to be a mother. This is my mother. Well, worse than that, at that point, he got so broken up because his emotions, they both did, <sighs> that he forgot what to do. Yeah. <laughs> and so the band started yelling, sing the baby song, sing the baby song, because that's what he's supposed to do next. Yeah. He forgot. <laughs> And did you see the TV movie Lucy? It was no. in 2003. They don't research those things. They just said, okay, they did a baby show, final. <laughs> and they showed that scene. And they didn't even ask anybody, well, what really happened there? So the version of the movie is they get to that point and they get sort of flustered. And then they show the audience. And the audience in this movie 
the studio audience just says, sing the baby song, <laughs> sing the baby song, like all in unison, like someone's directing them. It's like, how would they know about the baby song? Right. Yeah. It's probably not how that happened. No, it's just bizarre. It's just like a weird cult. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was a breakthrough, showing you a pregnant woman. Oh, over. yeah. But the sort of ironic thing is that song, which is written by Irving Berlin, not mm-hmm. Disney, I think in 1944, they were connecting Philadelphia to New York or something, a first TV relay network. Mm-hmm. And Eddie Cantor was singing that song with a young actress uh-huh. who, who was singing with him. And they felt that because she's not married to him, they felt that the lyrics were a little risque. Yeah. Well, actually, they used lyrics that are more risque than lyrics, doesn't it? <laughs> and she said something about it, you know, it was my pleasure or something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> How dare they? And, and they, cut off, they cut off the sound. They wouldn't, they, wow. they wouldn't, so you could see him mouthing. But yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's one thing in, in which things have really changed. Oh, yeah. When and you that, think about the censorship. Well, now you can show how you, how you get pregnant. Yeah. Right. yeah. Especially the Super Bowl after the Janet Jackson incident. Yeah. And now oh, they gosh. do, what, like 10 second delay or something yeah. after right. that right. incident. Yeah, because I Love Lucy was the first time we see a pregnant woman, right? On television. They don't use the word They pregnant. don't use the word pregnant. They don't use the word pregnant. They don't use the word incent, on scent either. Yeah. But both of those were episode titles. Yes. Right. It was Lucia's on scent. And they did that, I think, the writers called it that as a joke because of what yeah. the network, not letting them, but actually the next episode stuck. was called Pregnant Women Are Unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> but the episodes back then, the titles didn't show on yeah. the Wait, on were the they screen. published anywhere? Like, is no. there a TV guide? Or? No. Was there a TV guide? <laughs> there was a TV guide. Yeah. In fact, the first issue of TV Guide had Little Ricky on the cover. I think I knew that. Yeah. In the memoir, the thing that I really appreciated that your dad said was when they decided to push convention and say, well, we'll just do another season of television with you guys having a baby and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Where he said, what could people find more relatable? <laughs> Couples have children all the yeah. time. How is this How is this earth shattering to anyone? Yeah. And I was like, that's just such a practical way. There are such conventions in any business that you kind of forget, oh, this doesn't actually make any sense just because we've always done it this way. Yeah. doesn't make any sense. I was like, oh, that's just someone having logic. <laughs> and of course it made sense that everybody loved little Ricky and loved that they yeah. were a family. There yeah. were all these religious organizations that were raising objections and somebody said, you know, you are familiar with Mary and the baby Jesus and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Would you rather no one ever had children? Yeah. Yeah. Is that appealing? I yeah. don't know. But they had, I think, six or seven episodes for the pregnancy. And that was responsible for the invention of the rerun and the invention yeah. of the flashback show. Right. Yeah. Because they had to. No, they did the flashback show to fool people. Yeah. Because they did a bunch more flashback shows than there were ones that there were actually flashbacks. Right. They mm-hmm. started using flashbacks in regular episodes. Then they would stick in a flashback and then be showing a rerun after the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Flashback <laughs> But the people wouldn't tune out and say, oh, it's one of these. Yeah. Like, Who knows? <laughs> and, they, and actually did. And they kept doing that in later seasons and it, when they showed reruns. And those are some of the scenes that disappeared. Right. The but I think I put them on the DVD. Okay. You can see them practically all of them on the DVDs. Yeah. Are there any specific scenes you know of or storylines that is based on your childhood or your father's experiences with you? Uh, I don't think so. Not my childhood. I think he used my sister for baby snooks a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, my mother was inspiration for some things. I mean, I I always think when when the Brown Derby scene, when Mm -hmm. Ethel 
pulls the scissors out of her purse to cut the spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. It's like, who has scissors in her purse? Well, my mother always has scissors <laughs> in her purse. She always carried a sewing kit. Yeah, I love that. And my dad was the inspiration about getting the men to dress better. Your dad was also the inspiration for the balding. Yes, for he thinks he's getting <laughs> bald. Yeah. Yeah, because he tried all those contraptions uh, yeah. when, when he was 23 and started losing his oh, hair. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, the one that... The scalp agitator. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and he put a stage direction in the script that said, see the producer he experienced. He endured this particular machine at the beginning of what has turned into a very becoming lack of hair. (laughs) (laughs) That was the fun thing in researching the book was that they would spend a day together, Bob and Madeline and my dad, plotting the whole show out beat by beat. And then they would type up the outline scene by scene. And then Bob and Madeline would go and write a first draft. And then my dad would comment on the first draft. He'd mark it up. And then they type a second draft and give it to him. And then he would dictate a final version from start to finish. And as he was dictating, I mean, he felt he had having it filtered through one person's senses, it would bring a consistency to the, to right. the show. But because he was dictating, if some interesting thought or like that occurred to him, he would just <laughs> include that. So there's all these great little parentheticals about what they think of Lucy and stuff like that. That's so cool. Do you have copies of all the original scripts and stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, That's awesome. So cool. There's a display at the Lucy Desi Museum. Actually, it's at the Desi Lu Playhouse mm-hmm. where they have the sets in Jamestown. Mm-hmm. It was my dad's desk from Desi Lu and it's, it's arranged like you walked in on them and all the stuff's yeah. on the desk, cool. telegrams and, and the trade papers. And, and there's a draft of a script that he's working on and the pencil's on it, but you can see all the his pencil yeah. notes on Madeline's first type draft. That's so cool. Yeah. I feel like that's such a good insight that in order to have a sense of consistency or a sense of vision for a show, we have showrunners now. Yeah. That was the first time people realized, oh, we really do need it to come from one person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was basically the first showrunner. Right. So cool. Which became a problem because the Screenwriters Guild was trying to get jurisdiction my dad and some other people started something called the Television okay. Writers of America. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Screenwriters Guild brought an action before the, the National Labor Relations Board saying Oppenheimer can't be in the union. He's in management because he's the producer. Because oh. there was no such thing as a writer-producer. Oh, yeah. Interesting. They that, oh, you can't be on both sides. And now almost all writers are producers. Yeah. 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 It's hard to imagine a writer not being yeah, exactly. there through the whole process. Well, producer is what... The title they give them if they don't get writing credit on a show, right? Yeah. But sometimes when they do get writing credit, they yeah. do, they're yeah. also producers. I was reading in your dad's memoir about how Desi really was fighting for an executive producer credit and how Lucy asked your father, can you just give him the executive producer right. credit because it will make our home life a lot easier. <laughs> well, he, he never knew it was her idea. Oh, okay. Lucy came to... Actually, Lucy didn't come to my dad. Lucy came to Al Simon and said, why don't you suggest to Desi that he become executive Got producer? It. But don't tell him I said it. Pop in last Managing at home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's executive producing that moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you're familiar with our podcast. We think a lot about the show through a feminist lens and mm-hmm. what Lucy means for women in television. And because obviously, other than your dad, there were two head writers where one is a man, one is a woman. And then the cast is two men and two women, the regular cast. There was and, actually one, only one head writer. Right there. Well, the head writer and then the two... Two co-writers. Co-writers, I'm sorry. But that's like a pretty even split in yeah. terms of who the voices are. And in your experience, or, or talking to your dad, how common or uncommon was that at that time to have that level of input from both men and women? It, would, it wasn't very common. On your show of shows, Sid Caesar's show, mm-hmm. there was a, a woman writer. Mm-hmm. 
the joke on Isla Lucy, I have some pictures, but they had uh, director's chairs with people's names on it. And the one for Madeline says, Madeline, Madeline Pugh, girl writer. I have that up in my office. It's one of our favorite photos. Also girl writers, so, yeah. But that was a joke. Did that as a joke because he thought it was so silly to call her girl writer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've never seen a picture. I've never seen a picture of it, but Bob Carroll's show thing said, Bob Carroll, boy writer. Oh, oh I wait, love that. That's even better. That's great. And my dad said, Jess Oppenheimer, boy producer. <laughs> Let's bring those back. I love that. <laughs> I have a picture of that. That's so cool. <laughs> Desi's sitting in the chair. It's on the DVDs. But I... Okay. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I, I think I just posted it on the I Love Lucy Facebook group. Okay. Oh, do, do you run the I Love Lucy Facebook mm, or no, do you just post it? I just it? joined it. Just, yeah. <laughs> Part of the community. Yeah. Wanted to tell them about my play. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so tell us about your play. The play is called I Love Lucy, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Sitcom. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not an episode of I Love Lucy, although hopefully it's reminiscent of an episode yes. of I Love Lucy. It's all the behind-the-scenes stories about how the show got on the air and all the battles with the network about accepting Desi and doing the baby shows and all that. All the ones that they never properly do on the TV movies about Lucy and Desi. Right. And it's going to be premiering next month in July at UCLA's James Bridges Theater, LA Theater Works, which is a mm-hmm. wonderful theater company is doing it. And Sarah Drew from Grey's Anatomy is playing Lucy. Oh, wow. And oh, cool. Oscar Nunez, who's Oscar the accountant from The Office, yes. is playing Desi. <gasps> It's a great cast. That's awesome. Powerhouses. And they haven't cast my father yet. <laughs> I mean, you can play your father. No, no. I'm not an actor. <laughs> I have too much hair. <laughs> and so what was that process like? You wrote the play. Are you directing as well? No, or? I'm just the playwright. I'm just the playwright. Happy to be the playwright. <laughs> I'll be there for the table reads and everything. Of course. Right. Well, the book was a labor of love. Right. And this was harder than the book. <laughs> and I did sort of like... I guess like the Marx Brothers just take their movies and, and run them through. You know, they would play all over the country mm-hmm. as plays and they would right. see how they worked on their feet. So I've been doing readings for Great. different parts of this for seven years. Wow. And you, I don't know if you saw it at the back of the book. That's the first script that I wrote yeah. for it. Yeah. It's changed a lot since yeah. then. It's gotten three times as long. <laughs> but it was a fun process. Yeah. And I love working with actors. So I was, do you saw who the cast was? We had people from I Love Lucy in it. So cool. We had uh, Shirley Mitchell was in mm-hmm. it. And Janet Waldo who was the Bobby Soxer on uh, Young Fans, I mm-hmm. think is the name of the episode. Dan Kahn, was actually, who was the film editor, was actually in it. He played the director uh, <laughs> for the pilot. And who else was in that? Well, we had Amy Peets, who was a wonderful actress from Caroline in the City. She played Lucy in that one. Dick Van Patten from Eight is Enough right. was uh, played William S. Paley. Phil Proctor. Phil Proctor played Desi. Uh, Phil Proctor for the Firesign Theater comedy group. He, uh, oh, mm-hmm. The voice of Howard on The Rugrats. Oh, okay. oh yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's like a huge part of my childhood. <laughs> So we, that was a lot of fun. And then we and we keep changing it and changing it, and finally uh, got to a point where it's a play. Yeah. <laughs> and how long will it be running at LA Theater? Five days, the twelfth through the fifteenth. We will be there. Yeah. LATW dot org. Cool. If you can get tickets. So yeah, exciting. we will post a link to it on our okay. social media, mm-hmm. and you'll see us advertising for it as well. So we are very excited to be attending ourselves. 
Let's see. So we were thinking, we have a template on our show when we have guests, when we're lucky enough to have guests, but we have a couple of questions that we always ask people. Okay. And some of them you've already answered. We always ask people, have you ever seen the show before? Right. <laughs> um, some have, some have not. Yeah. When I was producing the DVDs, I watched them a lot. <laughs> uh, and what is your relationship yeah. with Lucy? I think we've kind of covered yeah. some of them, but there are a couple other ones that we'd love your take on. And I, this is one that maybe we can guess what the answer to that we, would be. We probably can guess. But who is the first woman you remember seeing on television? Probably Lucy. Yeah. Unless it was the woman on Romper Room. (laughs) (laughs) Would you identify as a Fred, Lucy, Ethel, or Ricky? Fred. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Why? Why? (laughs) We have the same sense of humor. Okay. Smart Alec, wise ass remarks. A lot of our guests say that they're want to be Lucy's, but think they're actually Ethel's. That's what we tend to get from our female guests, which is funny. And if you're thinking about how women are depicted on television now versus what we see on I Love Lucy, mm-hmm. um, what do you think has changed and, and what do you think hasn't changed? Oh, well, I think it's changed with the culture. I mean, the, the women's roles on television reflected women's roles, how women's roles have changed in, in real life, mm-hmm. I think. I think it's great that women are behind the scenes on television mm-hmm. now, too, and that's a lot of reason for it. So, you know, it's, it's changed just the way that real life has changed. What is your modern pitch for an I Love Lucy reboot? <laughs> I don't want this to be an I Love Lucy <laughs> I'm like, I want it to remain sacred because they're rebooting everything else. Everything. Yes, no, you yeah. can't reboot I Love I, I like her exactly the way she is. Yeah, yeah. we do perfect. too. <laughs> and if I, for me, it uh, changed the character a, a little bit in a, into a different show when little Ricky got older. Yeah. Because all of a sudden she's a mother worrying about serious problems. Up mm-hmm. until then, she was still a little girl with her doll. Yeah, right. Basically. Yeah. And not quite as much levity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Real stakes to this yeah. like young human life. Yeah. <laughs> Would you consider yourself a fan of TV nowadays? What kind of stuff do you watch oh, yeah. or so? I like Sneaky Pete on Amazon uh-huh. Prime. I think it's tremendous. Uh, I watch Billions. Yeah. I know I watch some comedies, but I can't think of them. <laughs> <laughs> I keep hearing about Sneaky Pete. Oh, it's, it's really I good. Watched it yet. I keep hearing it everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the closest, like the closest to I Love Lucy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Do you think there are any shows that are, you know, similar to I Love Lucy that are on TV now? That's probably the closest. I don't think there is any one that's really like I Love Lucy. Mm-hmm. The, the Ray Romano show, Everybody yeah. Loves Raymond, was right. so, sort of in that template. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Closest to it. We always say one of our favorite things about I Love Lucy was the friendship between her and Ethel mm-hmm. and all the hijinks that ensued, of course. But we love that you know we'll see female friendships on TV now. And for us, they feel so reminiscent of yeah. Lucy and Ethel. Yeah, they definitely were the first people to get... And that, yeah, you know, they never safe. do business with friends episode. Yes, it, the original ending. If you look at the script, actually, that I have, it it, it ends with them fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they realize no, we can't do that. We can't leave it like that. So yeah. they had to rewrite the ending. So they make up and everything. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> That's a happy ending. Yes. <laughs> well, those are our questions. Yeah. Yes. I was going to tell you about the toy. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So what is it? And, and when they change apartments in the podcast, we were discussing that, and you were talking about. I wonder how much they had to pay to get the frog on there. And, and uh, there, there were not product placements back then. Oh. They hadn't thought of that. Oh. Or at least the producers hadn't thought of that. Because, you know, you know, it's a Lionel train. And the right. reason you know it's a Lionel train is the box that says Lionel is on the mantle. Mm-hmm. So you can like, read it very easily. Yeah. And my dad didn't notice. Well, nobody noticed that until they were editing. And my dad went to the prop guy and said, why is that box sitting there? 
and the guy admitted that uh, well the Lionel guy said I could keep the train if I did that <laughs> and uh, so we can't have people everybody going into business for himself around here <laughs> so, never do business so, with Lionel so that, so that was my train <laughs> that became my we, we took it home and that, that was my train going up oh that's wow that's so funny yeah do you have any other fun little tidbits about episodes that maybe our listeners would love to hear that we they might not have heard before well there, there was an episode where Lucy changes her mind mm-hmm. which ends in the, the first store yes <laughs> and Tom Henderson she thinks is this little bald guy right and so she's trying to keep Desi or Ricky away from him and at the time I think the the day rate for an actor who doesn't have any lines is it was $15.56 okay and this is an example of one of those dictation things that my dad did the very last page of the script Ethel says oh that's not Tom you know Tom's back here mm-hmm. oh Mr. Henderson and then my dad wrote stage direction from behind the curtains steps the handsomest hunk of man anyone ever saw for fifteen dollars and fifty six cents. That's a producer talking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and That's... that was the guy who played the guy who stepped from behind the handsome guy who stepped from behind. He was uh, can't remember his name, Johnny something. He played the Lone Ranger. Yeah, I think we looked him up. We always like to see what the you know the day players, what else they have done. Yeah, and the, what... guy, the guy who played the Lone Ranger the rest of the time was actually afraid of horses. Oh, and so at the beginning of the Lone Ranger, when the guy goes, yeah, I was over and he goes to back up, uh, and, and the horse is up in the air. That's that's this guy. That's not yeah, Karen Clayton Moore. That's okay. not Clayton Moore. The Lone Ranger was also shot in Hollywood Center. So oh, they yeah. just grabbed him from one soundstage. Yeah. <laughs> it was called General Service back then. Mm. They have big posters of the Lone Ranger and yeah. like all the various cool. shows that shot there. Oh, a lot of stuff was Burns shot and there. Allen. Yeah. Like, yeah, everything was. Yeah. So you're very close to where when you're reading the memoir about my dad getting to Hollywood and in the corner of Hollywood and Vine yes. and looking around. Yes. And when I was writing it, I. I actually went down there, and the clock was still on the equitable mm-hmm. building, and I walked oh. up to the sixth floor where Young and Rubicon was, and it was, it was very cool. But oh. now they've torn down the clock. And, yeah, everything's changed. But the Taps building is still the okay, same. Okay, yeah. But there's not a Rexall drug in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Hollywood and Vine looked a little bit different when your dad yeah. first got here. So interesting. Yeah. Anything we should have asked you that we didn't? Go to the play. Yes. <laughs> yes. Check it out. Yes. Well, thank you so thank much, you Greg, so for much. joining yeah. us. This was such an honor. Yeah, truly. Really. This was so My much pleasure. fun. Welcome yeah, back. the name of the book. We mentioned yes. the memoirs, but we never said Oh, yes. Was. The name of the book is... <laughs> Laughs, Luck, and Lucy. Yep. That's right. You can get it on Amazon. Yeah. I read it on my Kindle. It's, it's only like less than $3, and, and all the royalties go to the Pediatric AIDS Foundation. Oh, That's wow. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah, you guys should definitely purchase that. And also, there's so many great pictures and copies of the script in there and great lots stories. of really good stuff in there. So, do you recommend? And welcome back to Season 3 to all of our listeners. Thank you, Greg, for kicking it off in such a special way. Lots of exciting yeah. guests coming up, although I think we've kind of hit our peak with the top of the season. <laughs> yeah. It's downhill from here. <laughs> no, we're going to have really great people. It'll all be great. <laughs> Thank you Thank you to Greg. And yeah, thank you, Greg. We are on Instagram at We Love Lucy Podcast. On Twitter at We Love Lucy Pod. And you can find us on Facebook at We Love Lucy Podcast. You can also send any thoughts and feelings to our email at We Love Lucy at gmail.com. Thank you, Lucy's. We'll see you next time. We love Lucy.